Hey guys, welcome back to the Muscle Mentors podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are here today for guest interview number 14 with Mr. Joe Jeffrey. Uh, it's the second appearance that Joe's had on the podcast. Um, so we're, we're excited to, to have him back on for today's topic. Two things we just need to, need to make note of before we crack on today. Uh, the contents of this episode, as always, are for educational purposes only and informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, nor diagnose or treat any illness. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions regarding your health before partaking in any of the activities we may be talking about on this episode. Um, there's also worth noting that on this podcast itself, which was around 53 minutes in length, uh, we were around 31 minutes into the recording when one of our internet connections, I believe it was mine, went down and the recording stopped. Um, so around 31 minutes and five seconds, you're going to get Joe speaking and then it's going to cut out and then it's going to start up again uh, and all seem a bit random. But it was just because the internet went down and we basically had to record again and carry on from where we left off. So um, that's just a forewarning when that happens. Don't be... Uh, don't be alarmed. Uh, but yeah, thank you for uh, for tuning in. Up and coming podcasts, really our side. Uh, we've got Mr. Mike Banner, aka Dr. Mike, coming on uh, the following week. So next week, um, uh, we, have a, we have a few more that we'll keep in the pipeline under wraps for the meantime. But yeah, there's, there's some really good content coming soon. Uh, and a few more. For those that have subscribed to the YouTube channel, there should be 10 more. 10 more videos being uploaded as of the end of this week. So um, keep an eye out for that content there. And yeah, I hope you enjoy and we will uh, we'll catch up soon. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. We are here for guest interview number 14 and uh, Mr. Joe Jeffrey's second appearance, I think. First one was on growth hormone. Um, today we're going to Say again. So back by popular demand. Of course. Um, today we're talking about aromatase inhibitors, and um, this this should be a pretty juicy, juicy episode. Joe and Luke, how are we? Luke, you look comfortable with that neck thing. <laughs> yeah, I literally just went just sitting here on my sofa because no one's in the house, so I can record this podcast on my sofa. Um, and it's probably going to fuck with the mic actually. I just put a neck pillow yeah. on. Yeah, it's probably going to fuck with the mic. Is my audio okay because I know last time it was a bit. Yours is fine. I've had to lose the neck pillow because that will mess with the mic. Um, That's pretty, Yeah, I was pretty comfy there. I'll go the regular pillow instead. I haven't actually got any pillows. Yeah, actually, that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, comfy bed, comfy bed, sofa. I said, I'm sat in the spot you were sleeping on, mate, and I haven't washed it since, you know. <laughs> it's just taken a serious turn, <laughs> this podcast. Quality content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm cool, Cal. I'm just quite tired. So anybody listening, excuse delays in thought. I'm like I'm dieting at the minute. I'm tired. I got up this morning, and had the hour of cardio to do first thing. I was like, oh, I'm staring at an old packet of Modafinil. Like, should I take one of these? <laughs> <laughs> Managed to override it in the end. Joe's, uh, Joe's forty five pounds down, so 
yeah. we'll let him go. It's, oh, yeah. it's 45, isn't it? Yeah, we've done pretty well. It is, yeah. When I was... he te- yeah, when he texted me his weight update this morning, I had to double take. I was like, oh, what? I know, it's just 40. Got... I know, but food hasn't really changed. It's just very consistently it's just like no. falling off now. Yeah. It's fish and broccoli, isn't it? That's, That's all I eat. I, I've only allowed Joe three rice cakes a day. In addition, yeah. Well, that's in addition to like about eight fillets of cod. So he's doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Three to eight ratio. Yeah. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> right. Just give us give us an intro in terms of what we're going to discuss today, Joe, and the main points we want to get across. Okay, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about aromatized inhibitors. So the basics of what the aromatase enzyme is, what it is that we're inhibiting, um, types of AIs, uh, just for anybody listening, that means aromatase inhibitor. I'll probably use the term AI as we go on. Uh, we can talk a bit about therapeutic uses, how they're used medically, possible safety issues, and other alternatives for controlling estrogenic side effects with anabolic steroid use. Um, because I imagine the majority of people are listening to this because they are either researching or currently partaking in anabolic steroid use themselves. And estrogen control is something that is part and parcel with using super physiological levels of hormones and can cause side effects. So, yeah, we'll just kind of break down a very basic layman's terms of what they are, what they do, and how to use them if you are going to use them, basically. Oh. Epic. Oh. And for those that don't know, who Joe is. If you haven't listened to our growth hormone episode, he had a lovely instruction on there, but Joe's a fellow coach, fellow legend. That's implying that me and Callum are legends. That's up to that's up for debate. No. Joe's a legend. He's a he's Thank a fellow much. coach and a very, very smart guy when it comes to all avenues now. Training, nutrition and in particular pharmacology and understanding drugs and stuff like that. The man knows his shit. Thank um, you. I'm working so, yeah. on my biomechanics knowledge. You guys have been helping me a ton, so thank you. Um, definitely my um, forte is pharmacology. And I'm not a doctor or anything of the like. I just have a, a huge interest in, in oh, yeah. biochemistry. Well, well, yeah, well played with that. Because we are, this is all entertainment purposes only, this podcast. There's no, uh, no, no medical advice given here. This is all for entertainment purposes. Consult your... Physician, dietitian, qualified healthcare professional before implementing any of this jazz. Probably not a dietitian or a nutritionist, actually, because they're not really going to be able to advise you on AI use, I should hope. <laughs> no, an endocrinologist would. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we crack. Like, are we going to define what aromatase, what the aromatase enzyme is for those that don't know? Yeah, that'd probably be a good starting point. Do you want me to do that? Go for it. Excuse any background noise. My wife has decided to come in and start preparing food in the kitchen. I told you as. Nice let, let me know if it becomes too loud and I'll um kick up. No, I'm not gonna say anything too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to come across sexist. Um okay, so the aromatase enzyme is in a nutshell, in one single sentence, it's responsible for converting androgens to estrogen, essentially. So whether it's um, biosynthesis of your own testosterone, so the hormonal cascade of testosterone that you make yourself or testosterone that you inject or 
derivatives thereof examples would be boldenone and dianabol they both work under the um, aromatase pathway to convert to estrogen um, that is the pathway of conversion of androgens to estrogens um, note the conversion of androgens to estrogens it's not the only way that estrogen is present in the body and it's not all androgens i might add like 19 norandrogens like nandrolone that we can come on to they don't convert to estrogen via this pathway Mm. and we'll, we'll, we can dig into that but um the aromatase enzyme can be found in all kinds of places all over your body we did speak in the last podcast about it being very hepatically active um it's also obviously in the testicles um breasts um hence gynecomastia um the brain fat tissue which is something to keep in mind for people with physicals um bones again which will come under a safety concern hair and a lot of other places but i i chose to name them because they're all relative they're, they're all relative in some form down the line in terms of physicals um, apart from hair I <laughs> <laughs> um that's why all body builders are bald yeah speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i shave my hair by choice to be fair my hair's actually uh, yeah, i still I've got i still got a full head of hair i think cal does as well I've heard that I before. I still have hair. Yeah, so do I. Mine's just blonde. So when I go really short, everyone's like, oh, you're bald. I'm like, no, I've just got short blonde hair. A big tan, so you can see it. Exactly. That's a good shout, actually. What I do. Um, so when we talk about aromatase activity or conversion of um, androgens to estrogen, obviously we're talking about estradiol or E2. Um, estradiol is the most potent form of estrogen. Um, and aromatase isn't the only pathway responsible for estradiol synthesis, but in males, it does account for the massive majority. I say massive majority, I'm pretty sure it's like 60%. But when we're talking about super physiological dosages of testosterone or derivatives thereof, it will most definitely be the majority. Uh, so I think that covers what the aromatase pathway is. So when we use an AI, we're talking about inhibiting the actions of that pathway so inhibiting the conversion of androgens to estrogen to some degree um so we could dig into the types of ais now if you guys like let's go let's dig let's do so it basically there's two types um you'll see them broken up into like first second or third generation but for practicality sakes we'll talk about two types type one is irreversible and type 2 is reversible um, so these type 1 aromatase inhibitors work by causing irreversible inactivation of the aromatase enzyme for the entire life cycle of that enzyme which is important to remember so you can almost think of it like you're killing the enzyme um, and this is why they're called suicidal inhibitors um, it's quite apt that we're talking about this today because um, I mean, I'll say his name, Nick Trigilli, put a YouTube video out today called um, Why We Use Aromacin and Arimidex. And he said that um, Aromacin is called a suicidal inhibitor because it gives people suicidal tendencies. That is not true. Um, I'll say that, that, that's definitely not true. Um, although there are safety concerns with these drugs, that is not it. It's called a suicidal inhibitor because it is essentially like the enzyme is committing suicide the whole life cycle is gone um and there's a benefit to that so the benefit of it being irreversible or suicidal is that 
we wouldn't need to continuously dose this drug to maintain effect because you've removed the issue with that specific amount of aromatase. Okay, so actual biosynthesis of the new aromatase enzyme would need to occur to bring up estrogen production again. So um, you, you, you can see these uh, suicidal inhibitors generally being preferred by me, to be honest, as I can use them in an ad hoc fashion instead of needing to run them regularly, which would be the case for reversible inhibitors. So let's say very slowly over the course of a blast, somebody develops this buildup of estrogenic symptoms. We could ad hoc use a single dose of aromacin, for example, to control an estrogenic issue, and then we never, and then we can leave it. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, aromacin, that's the most common type one aromatase inhibitor. Um, there are others, but honestly, you don't ever see them. Um, so type two, uh, in contrast, they reversibly bind to the aromatase enzyme. So if you want to continuously reduce serum estrogen levels with a type two aromatase inhibitor, you'd need to keep using the drug. So you run the risk of possible toxicity issues there. Um, I know a lot of people speak about a rebound from estrogen. I mean, I can see and a mechanistic level why it would be possible. And um, although it's never been shown in the, in the literature, but I think I, I have anecdotally seen it, not in myself. Um, so examples of type two aerobitase inhibitors would be arimidex and letrozole being the most common. Okay. Mm. Um, an interesting note here would be that although aromatase inhibition with type two AIs in the literature is close to 100% effective in humans. We only see a decrease in the total estrogen to androgen levels. So in ratio with one another of just under 80%. And also in humans using exogenous hormones, so therefore they have their HPG axes suppressed. Um, when they're given testosterone and letrozole, we see a very similar decrease. So we don't see like a 100% reduction in serum estrogen. Um, they are also dose dependent, of course. So you could drive estrogen down to the single digits if you wanted to. Yeah. Unwise. Yes, we can go into why. Um, so that's pretty much what AIs are in very basic layman's terms. I think everybody would understand that the two different actions, or rather the two different mechanisms of action between. Are we? Are we gonna? Are you gonna cover it later in terms of the different effects that those two types of AIs can have on the liver? Like, do their effects differ in terms of like liver toxicity and also their effects on lipids and HDL? Or they, or I mean, we could roughly cover that now. So. In the literature, consistent dosing, um, it looks like type 1 aromatase inhibitors are slightly better in terms of lipid health, although on a milligram to milligram basis, when matching up drops that they're capable of in serum estrogen, they look pretty much the same. Um, in terms of liver toxicity, that will depend on frequency of dosing. Again, a type 2 will have to be dosed frequently and consistently, so you're probably looking at a greater deal of liver stress there. Now, I'm not exactly sure the mechanism under why um, liver enzymes do raise with these issues, but we do express a lot of aromatase in the liver and it does strongly stimulate the growth hormone IGF axes. So it could be something down that line as well. Well, I think it's like, and this is one of the things I didn't realize where Dean was 
Dean presented at Body Power and he was talking about the different CYP enzymes and it, I didn't mm. realise that the aromatase enzyme was a CYP enzyme, it was a CYP19. Uh, yeah, and this is why there's a large biological inter-individuality of the amount of aromatase expressed. And yeah. in, in the literature, all the way from people that are literally born aromatase deficient up to overexpression, which is where controlling stack design comes in and choice of compounding stack design is important. Yeah. And why potentially you might look at a 19 norandrogen as your anchor if you do, let's say, overexpress aromatase. Mm. Uh, mm. We can get into stack design considerations. So, you don't, because like the previous guest we had on obviously talked briefly about his views regarding whether or the fact that like androgens will upregulate the enzyme that breaks down HDL, and it's but it's not the same. The en- do you know if that enzyme's impacted by AIs? Uh, no, I don't believe so. That's why I consider it a double whammy effect. Yeah. If you were using AI on top, I think this is, and that's one big reason why you would want to limit ancillary drug use because you are then having this double whammy effect on your HDL. Yeah. I mean, I mean, estrogen is required for HDL production on a fundamental level as well. So it yeah. could literally just be dropping serum estrogen. Um, outside of your efficient ratios or into sub-physiological levels. Yeah. But I would say it's more to do with ratio there. And I'm yet to, I'll say this now, I'm yet to see any literature that super-physiological levels of serum estrogen in absence of the correct ratio to androgens cause deleterious health effect. Yeah. I don't believe high estrogen to be a concern. I believe an imbalance of androgen for estrogen to be a health concern. Mm. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, if someone has something to tell me that I'm wrong, there's some evidence, then I'm willing to be wrong. Yeah. Send me through some literature. But I I mean, I've shared plenty of times like uh, research papers on exactly that. So um, that's where I stand at the minute. Um, So we could talk about uh, we said we were going to do therapeutic use of AIs. That's pretty quick. So what are they used for medically? Um, Let's do it. I think they have quite a, like a sparse medical application these days. But historically, they've been used in hypogonadal men that are kind of on the edge of not being absolutely hypogonadal. Let's say the cutoff point is like 200 nanograms per deciliter and they're like 350 and they benefit from a bump up. Um, it's a relatively non-invasive prescription to give someone a single pill to pop. Um, anybody that understands hormonal cascades with the HPG axes will understand this, but basically take the AI, E2 will drop, gonadotropin releasing hormone will kick in, so increase GNRH activity. Therefore, FSH and LH production will kick up, and then further downstream, testosterone biosynthesis. Um, yeah. To be honest, I think that's like in my opinion i i wouldn't bother with that since you're probably going to go hypergonadal anyway i would just use the hormone replacement therapy approach uh i would definitely set that as the lesser of two evils in that sense Mm. i think yeah i mean the health consequences of of that option versus the other is is i mean it's it's far less right yeah yeah so we started talking about safety issues with AIs. Um, so a few things that I've seen in the literature. Bone demineralization. 
Um, excuse the squeaky door in the background. See, yeah. my, my wife doesn't do anything until I start podcasting, and then she starts like running around the house. And <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, bone demineralization. Uh, this would only really be a concern for individuals using AIs to drop their E2, like beyond physiological levels for extended periods of time. Um, it sounds like, oh, that would never be me. I, I see it all the time with people in prep. They're using uh, like, like a, something we spoke about before we started going, like a, a milligram of a Rimidex every single day in their contest prep. You know, it's, that could quite easily drop you below physiological levels of estradiol. Mm. Um, yeah. And bone demineralization, something that nobody wants. Um, mm. Decrease HDL, uh, like we spoke about double whammy effect with anabolics, increasing liver enzymes. Uh, like I said, I think that's probably due to reduced aromatase activity at the site. Mm. Um, and a big one, insulin resistance. Yes. I'm glad you said that because I was going to talk about, I was going to, I was going to bring up glucose utilization and estrogen and the role estrogen plays in that, which is one of the stupidest reasons why, I think some, well, not stupidest reasons. One of the biggest contraindications as to why you'd implement it towards like the latter ends of a show where, you know, prep where you've got to then make sure someone's able to actually utilize carbohydrates in filling, you know, filling up and stuff like that. And then you ram them full of AIs. Yeah, uh, totally. I I absolutely agree. Um, So my question with that is that actually it's been studied on, like we spoke about individuals that have aromatase deficiency and they struggle with insulin resistance. It's also studied in healthy adults that they give a Rimidex and it causes some severe insulin resistance issues. Um, so don't do that basically. Not a good idea. Um, I'm sure people listening to this, like, yeah, that's great, but I don't want gyno, etc. cetera. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, in terms of like, for bodybuilders, estrogen is very anabolic. In fact, something that Lyle, I mean, my good friend Lyle McDonald, uh, a lot of people hate him, but I love Lyle and we talk a lot. He, he often says he thinks the majority, or maybe not the majority, a large amount of the ergogenic effects of steroids are mediated by estrogen. And I would agree. Multiple research papers. And he would know. He's, he's literally written the book on women that are estrogen dominant mammals, right? And estrogen is highly anabolic in multiple pieces of, pieces of research. It's very lipolytic. Um, I shared a paper, albeit an animal model, disclaimer there, on um, aromatase inhibition um, blocking lipolytic actions earlier in the week. And um, we also spoke about growth hormone IGF pathway uh, stimulation with estrogen so of course that's great for hypertrophy potential um so it's it's a great thing for bodybuilding and it it does appear that you'd want your estrogen to be as high as possible at all times without causing side effects in fact i'll say like estrogen is good until it isn't you know Mm -hmm. i think the because i was looking into a while ago, I've got to try to remember now. The I mean, someone can fact check me on this. I'm 99, 98% sure this is the me- one of the mechanisms why estrogen plays a role in like anabolism or like indirectly 
directly promoting anabolism, but it's via the the glucose six phosphate dehydrogenase enzyme. Yeah. Uh, have you looked into that? Where they did, and there was a study where they administered, and it, like this was an enzyme that is like you you know, in terms of how muscles use glucose with respect to tissue growth and recuperation, they basically gave a, the a group like testosterone propionate. And they found that the um, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase enzymes significantly rose. And it was via the aromatization of testosterone to estradiol, not the androgenic action of the steroid. Which is just, and then that just like compounded the fact that estrogen plays a very, very key role in A, glucose utilization and insulin sensitivity and things of that nature, but also the anabolic effects of estrogen. I'll, I'll if I'm wrong on that, I'll put a story. If I've got the enzyme wrong, I know that was roughly the study. But it's, uh, and I'll try and find the study as well. But that was pretty, I'm sure you've come across that, right? No, I haven't ever looked at anything like that, but I'd like to. Yeah, I'll try and find it. I, I, was, I can't believe I've just found something you've not looked at. <laughs> I've got a list of like a thousand studies that Lyle has sent me about estrogen's anabolic action. So I'll send them through to you. Sweet. Um, yeah, that's a cool one. I mean, there, there's, there's other actions. Um, I, I remember they, they like I think when they put an AI in the that positive effect was completely blocked and mm. they used in fact they did and they used uh, former stain yeah yeah so yeah there we go AIs will and that's the thing you get into the last stage of a contest prep and you're um you know, trying to retain as much tissue as possible and then you smash people for the AIs and they start looking shitter and being harder to fill out and probably because you've just compromised their ability to hold, hold on to lean tissue. Mm. Yeah. So anyone listening, former stain is, is the same as aromasin mechanism of action. It's irreversible AI. Okay, cool. You don't see it a lot, but okay, that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, that's been for every anecdote. It's like, oh yeah, I'll put Electro in at the end, but I'll look shit. <laughs> all the time yeah. it's bodybuilder rhetoric you know um so talking about like i mean i'm sure people that follow me have seen me talk about like manipulating the androgen to estrogen ratio or using non-aromatizing androgens to control estrogenic issues and and, and the thing i get the most is like well yeah but mastron doesn't reduce estrogen like yeah that's true so maybe we should differentiate the, the difference between anti-estrogenic actions i.e an ai and mediating estrogenic issues with androgens mm. okay so i mean manipulating this androgen to estrogen ratio is a valid means to correct estrogenic issues with your stack design without the need to use ancillaries like an ai or a serm um, this isn't something that I'm like pulling out my ass either. This is well researched. Um, many different kinds of androgens have been used. I mean, the, the, the best example is breast cancer. Um, when androgenic action at the breast overtakes estrogen receptor activation, the proliferation stops. So, What's that? The most probably common estrogenic complaint in bodybuilding is gyno, right? 
So androgens are used in the treatment of breast cancer because when you put an androgen at the site and the, the activity is greater than the estrogen receptor activity, the proliferation stops. Ooh. So that is Tame, it. Tame trend. Well, trembolone is one option that I probably wouldn't recommend, but it works <laughs> because it is a non-aromatizing androgen. I'm kidding. Table um, Primo. Primo would work. Masteron works really well. I mean, DHT as an androgen and I'll, has been shown to have mild aromatase inhibition properties. The key distinction here, this doesn't mean that all 5-alpha reduced AAS or DHT derivatives do this, only DHT. Uh, you, you can get injectable DHT in the form of like standalone, but I, I, I haven't even seen it on the UK market. Um, and it's not necessary because we don't need the AI property. Um, so pretty much all of the other androgens that we use are not anti-estrogenic. That's the important thing. They're not anti-estrogenic. They won't reduce serum estrogen. Their, their effect is counteracting estrogen based on their activity at the androgen receptor. And mm. the effect is always going to be greater for more potent androgens, like we were talking about trembolone. So you'd probably need less trembolone than you would um, primobolum, for example. Mm. So the key thing here, any increase in androgen to estrogen ratio by the addition of a non-aromatizing, non-estrogenic androgen I say non-estrogenic because remember what we said about 19 nor androgens. Um, there will be estrogen countering effects simply because the ratio of androgens to estrogen is increased. That's my fundamental premise for the stack design model of not having to use ancillaries. Um, and we could put that in practice because what does that allow us? That allows us to keep our serum estrogen wherever it may be. Like we said, all of these positives that estrogen has, it allows us to not have to use an ancillary drug like AIs, which come with a host of negatives. You know, it's a win-win situation there. And you might say, yes, but you're just, instead of taking an AI, you're taking another androgen. Yes, true. And they will both have some payback along the line, but, the deleterious health effects of additional androgens like Masteron absolutely pale in comparison to those of using an AI. Mm. So it would be a case of the lesser of two evils for sure. Mm. Okay. Hope that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we could get into some sort of practical stack design stuff for anybody listening. Let's do that. Hell yeah. Uh, let's put it in an off-season setting then. So you're going to have two primary compounds that are going to anchor a an anabolic steroid blast cycle, whatever, this supraphysiological period. In my opinion, it should be either testosterone or nandrolone. They're the two compounds that we have that are the most highly studied, um, the safest in the outcomes of the studies, um, the greatest anecdote behind them, um, great bank work, both very anabolic, etc. So, um, testosterone does convert to estrogen at a greater rate than nandrolone. Um, testosterone converts to estrogen via the aromatase enzyme, like we spoke about, whereas nandrolone 
being a 99 androgen, converts to estrogen via estrogen metabolites, um, namely estrogen, which is actually produced at the androgen receptor. So here's a point for anybody having estrogen nice. effect with nandrolone. An AI will not do anything because that is not the pathway at which it is converting to estrogen in the first place. Okay. Um, whether you choose testosterone or nandrolone will probably be down to your experimentation within your own biological individuality. So what I'll generally do with clients or what I would maybe suggest as a form of entertainment, I don't even know how to say this, um, would be we would experiment with a testosterone anchored blast. Let's say we start them at 400 milligrams of testosterone. Uh, if they are more of an estrogenic xenotype or they get estrogenic issues, we could put in a non-aromatizing androgen like Masteron. And maybe we incrementally increase the dose over uh, like an eight to two week period, whatever. We collect data, we collect blood work, we collect visual um, data, we collect by feedback, various other biometrics. And then we could cruise for time, then we could repeat the process randomly, collect the same data. Then we could see where this individual mm. sits, which compound do they respond the best to? Testosterone and androlone, you know, they're going to have. Do you have notes? Let's do it. I was going to say if you knew where you were. We're recording. Okay, so we we uh, just I mean let's just say we did just lose Cal and had so we we kind of have to re refit figure out where we were. Um, yeah, I think we were talking about well we were talking about stack design. So yeah, you were talking about if you were having estrogen, I think had you covered estrogenic side effects with nandrolone and you'd then use DHT like things that would convert to DHT to control that? Yeah, so yeah. For, for counteracting estrogenic side effects, like we were talking about with the cause of um, gynecomastia, we're looking at um, increasing the androgen to estrogen ratio. So quite literally any type of non-aromatizing androgen can do this. Most, like the most common one that I use with clients would be Masteron, being that it's cheap and relatively safe. Client has the budget. I will use Prima Bolin, and of course, you do get some added benefit with the additional anabolism there. Um, but things like Winstrol, Trembolone, um, Dihydrobaldenone are not necessarily routes that I would recommend people take simply for managing uh, for managing androgen to estrogen uh, ratio levels, because then we probably would get into the argument of is that safer than using an AI now. If we were in the prep situation where DHT derivatives are going to go up anyway, I would say yes. Off season, I would say no, there's no need. Um, and that's basically it in terms of stack design. Um, I would just recommend that you don't make too frequent changes as large fluctuations in hormonal levels can cause androgen to estrogen imbalances relatively because of like the decay rate that you'll see between estrogen metabolites and estrogen metabolites. So, I believe it was the basin region. They saw that they had less incidences of gynecomastia as the total milligrams of exogenous testosterone went up, um, basically because the ratio is getting um, increasing at the androgen side um, mm. in terms of rates of milligram per milligram. Uh, so you're going to have to take note every time you make stack changes. So it may not be a case of you know, going straight up to a gram of testosterone, maybe go up to 500 
you need anything there, go to 750. If you need anything there, I'd recommend a sort of a minimum of four weeks between stack design changes. Um, I wouldn't change them too frequently. Hmm. Because you need enough time on that level with that with the half-life of that drug at that like that quantity in your system to know what the effects would be right exactly yeah and and also this goes not only for total milligram of dose but it goes for number of compounds as well mm. uh, i wouldn't go from a cruise dose to an unfamiliar dose of testosterone and androlone let's say in higher doses which is common because then you're not going to know what is doing what if you do suffer side effects. Mm. Um, but simply collecting data over time on various stack designs will allow you to come to a stack design where you do not require ancillary use. And I'm, I'm proud to say thus far that nobody that I have worked with has had to rely on AIs, whether that be slowly pulling off as we redesign a stack or simple ad hoc use as and when needed. Um, I have managed to get everybody off of AIs permanently, um, Boom. which would uh, I would strongly say should be the goal. Um, using drugs to combat the side effects of other drugs is nonsensical. Um, and that sounds silly coming from somebody that's recommending you take additional drugs like Masteron. Um, that's not necessarily what I do. Uh, so, uh, so we're not recommending anyone takes anything. <laughs> no, no. I would say, though, if you could simply, let's say, anchor with testosterone with no problem or anchor with nandrolone with no problem without the need, you know, mm. there are many people that do. I have clients, well, I have two clients in my head, that run 1.5 grams of test with no AI in the off-season, no problem. Yeah. And they tolerate it very well. Others, they can do that, and they do need to balance it out, or they would anchor with another compound, let's say. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of like addressing estrogenic issues that you have right now, so I mean, somebody might be saying, well, that's great, but I've got issues now. Um, remember that these estrogenic side effects are decreased androgen to estrogen ratios. So this is going to be by the conversion of an androgen to an estrogen through at least one of the pathways we discussed. Now, the, the first thing I always do, honestly, is pull back, stack to a simple testosterone replacement therapy dose somewhere between one and a half to two and a half milligrams per kilogram generally. Um, so let's say for a hundred kilo male, that could be 150 milligrams per week. And then again, over the, let's say in four to eight week blocks, we would adjust the stack. Um, and if they are current, if they come to me and say, oh, I've got, you know, gyno on this blast, we could, transiently use tamoxifen or even aromacin to control these issues until we reach a stable level at the new TRT level. But if I was to keep them on the stack that they're on and try to control it, it would be complete guesswork. Um, I think it's definitely more valuable in the long term to pull back to a true TRT dose and build on that and experiment with your own stack design over time. Yeah. Um, something else probably worth mentioning, a bit of a side point, that a low level of 5-alpha reductase can play a role in estrogenic side effects. So it's another hormonal cascade for people that don't know. Uh, 
this enzyme will convert testosterone to dihydrotestosterone, DHT. Like we spoke about, DHT has strong roles in controlling androgen to estrogen ratios. Mm. And, and honestly, that's the reason why I'd use the term androgen to estrogen ratio and not testosterone to estrogen ratio. Mm. And I've, I've had people and I've seen people online that use five alpha reductase inhibitors to stop androgenic side effects, but then they get gyno by reducing the androgen side. Mm. That could be a path that you might want to look down. Um, it's quite rare that people actually have just like physiologically low five alpha, excuse me, reductase enzyme expression, but it does happen. Um, I think that's basically you've got any sort of questions. I think I've I think you pretty much covered everything I was going to ask. Sweet. You talked in terms about, of um, the brain side of aromatase and how high AI usage over time is going to impact the brain as well. I have no idea, and I don't think it's been studied, but I, I do believe and predict there's a beeping in my house. Can you hear that? Oh, that's that little thing by the fire, isn't it? It always goes off. How do you know that? That's a bit weird. I remember. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I remember when I was staying there and it would just randomly go off. I never noticed it. Right. No one knew. I'd just throw it outside, mate. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Put it under your heel. Well, um, I don't know the neurological, the deleterious neurological effects of AIs in the brain, but I do predict over the next 50 years or something that we are in for a shock in terms of both anabolic androgenic steroids and ancillaries like AIs and the neuro toxicology of these drugs and i think we're just starting to get a glimpse into that with a lot of the 19 nortestosterone's effects on the amygdala and whatnot um, in terms of memory retention i think we're going to see some scary stuff come through mm. i don't know yet anything and i don't believe it's been studied I could be wrong and i could look into it mm. uh, of aromatase deprivation in the brain but in other tissues like the liver it's bad news yeah 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 i mean it's probably not amazing in other tissue other areas as well i think th this would be quite a cool thing to discuss though because I, I, like while we lost callum i uh, i found the the study that i mentioned earlier and we me and joe were talking about it that it was the glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase enzyme they did administer uh, testosterone propionate they then administered a um estrogen antagonist and it blocked the positive effect that the that that glucose 6 phosphate dehydrogenase upregulation had on muscle and then they administered an androgen antagonist and it had no effect so it was basically a pure like it basically it says in the study that in these results to be presented indicate that an increase in glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase activity is mediated via aromatization of testosterone to estradiol thereby representing a direct effect of estradiol on striated muscle however it was a rat study which I forgot um, which there's going to be a lot of people out there that are like, what? It's a rat study. Disregard that shit. But Joe had, had an exchange with someone the other day on Facebook and, and pointed out one of the reasons why, yes, we've got to take into the fact that it's a rat study, but also why we shouldn't disregard stuff like that, which you can talk about. Yeah. Especially so, in this area. Right? Well, it is a problem that human studies are lacking in this area. Yeah. Of course. 
but I, that doesn't mean that I would completely discount animal studies, especially if they're applicable to specific conditions. So the reason I was interested in this one is it did mimic the equivalent rat dosing of a previous human study on testosterone. Mm. Um, so that was interesting to me. And simply, I don't have human data on it, so I'm doing the best of what I can. It's very much like my research into Trimbalone. There's literally two, three human papers. Most mm. of looking at is on cattle and rats but anecdotally a lot of it crosses over but i'm sure a lot of it doesn't as well um there's a strong group in the scientific community that only accept human clinical trials that just throw away animal research but i think that's silly animal data and in vitro data they are quite literally the gold standard in in drug research, drug discovery, and, and all aspects of, of medical research. But then when it comes to, to something as trivial as bodybuilding, it's, it's simply dismissed. You know, let's not get this wrong. Companies literally spend multi-millions of pounds on in vitro, in vitro models of like cancer drug research. And... Trust me, these people aren't spending millions and millions of pounds for things that are irrelevant. They mm. mm. passed it away. My opinion is is just silly, and it's, it's yeah. too easy. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, animal research. No, forget it. Yeah. So the the thing is, this is like we we you know, yes, it's an animal study, but and and all that jazz that comes with being an animal study, but everything we've spoken about, things that we've seen with clients, you know, things that people report, like the fact that they take a load of AIs going to a show and they suddenly become very, it's very hard to fill them out and they end up looking worse and they'll be less full and potentially lose muscle and, you know, all this stuff. And, and we do know there are human studies that show that estrogen has a direct effect on, on human tissue as well. But, you know, to disregard, disregard a study just because it features rats is a bit, bit short-sighted when when we just discussed all this stuff that we see in humans anyway that maybe some research hasn't got to yet it's because it i mean when you agree it's because it's such a a controversial area to study i mean how can you give a, a group of people testosterone propionate and then give them estrogen you know aromatase inhibitors and androgen inhibitors and see what happens it's, it's that's a extremely questionable thing to do in human beings will probably never be signed off on yeah yeah um there's very little human data done on stuff like this so it's probably a good time for me to shout out my boy alex who is doing some current human data on steroids at the minute um and mm. i'm trying to help him sort of recruit people for their research team yeah. uh, alex colliari turner he was on my podcast not long ago um so he's basically investigating the um, effects of anabolic steroids on muscle gene expression, epigenetic markers and their influence on muscle memory in humans. So basically like satellite, satellite cells and, and whatnot. So if you're a current steroid user who's like very recently finished a cycle or a previous steroid user who took steroids like maybe two or more years ago um, but haven't used any since then, then please hit me up. I know this sounds like an advertisement. I don't make any money off this. It's for future research. But um. Yeah, hit me up and see if you can get involved in the research because this is what we need. Yeah. And uh, we, we, who was the guy that we spoke about in the last podcast as well, Cal? Ben, was it? Uh, yeah, Ben uh, Ben Stanfield. 
yeah so both both opportunities for people to help out and provide some pretty valuable human data yeah what we need amen so boys i think that covers ai's i think if i was going to kind of summarize this i would say i'm not a fan of proactive or consistent use of ai's they have their place in an ad hoc situation um I would prefer to control estrogenic side effects without the necessity for ancillaries that have possible deleterious health outcomes to things that we are already doing that are deleterious to our health. Um, and I think a you know a, a ad hoc administration. Some would argue like, oh yeah, but you know the last couple of weeks of a, shoot, of a of a competition prep is an ad hoc scenario. Like we just discussed, why that might not be a good idea. Yeah, I, I I have never personally seen overuse or even use of AIs leading into a show have good effect. Yeah. I mean, especially when you think like, I mean, the main reason is like, yes, it could pull fluid potentially, yes, but what cells can hold fluid? You know, if you don't have any fat cell space to store fluid, mm. then you won't. So the trick is to actually just get fat free and then <laughs> looking full, but peeled yeah. down to really low numbers. You're going to be flat um, yeah. and you'll be unable to fill up properly. Um, I've honestly dieted Joe on higher testosterone and higher nandrolone. And when you get truly peeled to the bone, it's, quite an amazing thing um and there's no need it, there's no necessity hmm. and it makes me makes me think as well about all the natural competitors that you see they do multiple shows back to back and they just look progressively worse because they're so lean and some of these natural competitors that get very lean they won't you know they'll these will be the guys that maybe compete like once and then they go back into a an off season, but the guys that try and do shows off back to back and maintain that low, lower level of body fat, the, the low level of body fat and the concurrent low levels of estrogen will be one of the reasons why your look will fade. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't only happen in naturals as well. Yeah. Enhanced guys. But yeah, that HPG axis dysfunction in naturals is, is quite a serious, serious thing where they have literally no cholesterol to turn into hormones at the end. And um, suffer terrible side effects, including permanent HPG axis shutdown, which, which is what happened to Austin, my co-host on my podcast, who was a natural competitor who is now on TRT. Yeah. Wow! Because he got too peeled. <laughs> Shit. Too lean. Hashtag. Too lean. <laughs> Shout out to AJ and George. So, you guys, any questions on that? On the no, I think I think you summarised that perfectly, and I think people just need to understand that estrogen is not the enemy. And if you're going to take something to to really reduce it, make sure you're doing it in an absolute case of like where you you know there's a genuine reason why you could get away with it. And if you're not, if there isn't a good reason to do it, or if you're finding yourself being advised or finding yourself taking it for long periods of time, and you don't really understand why probably not a good idea yeah and it's not a new this isn't some new revolutionary thing either that mm. i'm like, on my ass like i've got books by dan duchene from you know 
a very long time ago where he says quite literally steroids don't seem to work when people take AIs with them. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's true. And we've literally just seen that that study pulled up in rats, you know, when they gave an estrogen antagonist an AI, they, um, the, the, one of the, the anabolic effects or one of the major anabolic effects seemingly disappeared. Yeah. And we're going to see more of it. We, we'll see more of it. Yeah. I bet my boy Lyle will keep sending me this estrogen research until the nail is in the coffin, probably. Mm. Um, and it will happen. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, there you go. I'm just going to wrap up. Oh, go for it. Um, who, who's our next guest? Uh, I can't remember. Well, I think it might be uh, one of the guys, guys or gal from Fitness Unfiltered. I know my, uh, Dr. Mike wants to come on. Oh, was it Dr. Dean as well? And Dean wants to do the thyroid one, yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. So we've just dropped some pretty cool potential guests. Joe will be back on for round three. We want to do, Joe, we wanted to do uh, metformin and... Without, without him giving away all his gold. Carter as well. Because this is stuff where if you want extra information on this, then message Joe on Instagram. We'll put his, his, his Instagram handle in the, in the uh, description. But the, yeah, Joe Jeffrey UK. Um, and, you know, consult with him because you, you consult with people, don't you? Mm. yeah yeah i appreciate that recommendation yeah in terms of coaching um places are very sparse but something i do a lot of is is this style of face-to-face consultation on yeah. skype or facetime and you've basically got me for half an hour or an hour and we can just absolutely rip apart any questions that you've got on pharmacology and just break it down to a more functional standard plan and then follow up as needed i mean mm. I do that with a bunch of people that I don't have space to coach where they will just check in with me, let's say once a month and we'll go over their data that they've collected, what they're doing with their pharmacology and whatnot. And then I can look over that and make a rational decision on where to go with it. Smart. And this is the thing, people, the resources are out there. It wouldn't be free, but it would be worth paying for if you're interested in maximizing your, your kind of efforts in that area. Obviously, hypothetically of course this isn't <laughs> you know no medical advice here people <laughs> yeah definitely yeah I, I never know how to quite say that it's like just everything i'm saying is just like a joke yeah you just you just say if it was me i'd be doing this if you want to do that that's cool it's your decision yeah <laughs> yeah right lovely thanks for your time joe no, thanks for having me back on man i'd love to come back on and talk metforming because that's a real um favorite of mine and it's yeah. very misunderstood like growth hormones i'm all over it Pleasure. Good stuff. We will see you soon. Thank you, Joe. Cheers, guys.